Your source for community, Muskoka-made talk shows are on Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Hey, this is Dr. Shervin. Muskoka Magazine is brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Please visit DairyLaneDental.com. This is Muskoka Drawdown. Welcome to Muskoka Drawdown. I'm your host, Frank Young. We are in the midst of a climate emergency. This is not theoretical and hasn't been so for some time. We are the first generation to feel the effects of climate change and the last generation can do something about it. That's what Barack Obama said recently. I'm here on behalf of Climate Action Muskoka I encourage everyone to, um, you know, bookmark Climate Action Muskoka and check it regularly. There are lots of good news stories on there, articles, interviews, book reviews. And if you haven't taken the Community Carbon Challenge yet, you should definitely do it. It's a lot of, it's a lot of fun and it's enlightening and it can help you plan your, your life to uh, be part of the uh, carbon drawdown for Muskoka and for, for you, can, you can tell others about it as well. I have with me in the studio uh, a very special guest. I mean, all my guests are very special, of course. <laughs> and um, and that guest is uh, Laura Thomas. She's uh, she runs Hidden Habitat, which is uh, a native species nursery just uh, south of Gravenhurst in Kilworthy. And so, with that, I'd like to introduce Laura. Hello. Thank you for having me today as a guest. Thank you, Laura. Well, first of all, tell us something about you personally. Are you from like Germany or China <laughs> or somewhere? Or are you um, no, I grew up in Mississauga, um, went to University of Waterloo um, and kind of never went back to the city. I've always kind of slowly migrated north, um, moved to Muskoka about six years ago. And um, hopefully that's it. I'll I'll stay here. So so what happened? Did you where did you get this idea to open a, a native species uh, nursery? Um, I've always been really fascinated with native plants. It started in university with um, an undergraduate. Um, my thesis advisor, Larry Lamb. Um, he was a passionate native plant enthusiast, and that's how I was introduced to the idea of like gardening with native plants or not even gardening it wasn't even there at that point um and they kind of at that time I was more introduced more in, interested in like an urban landscape uh, native plant gardening wasn't a thing really um I remember being told by my dad that like why would people want you know ditch weeds in their garden um which is ironic because my parents live in Australia and native plant gardening is massive there and that's, that's all and all, that's all my parents have in their garden is native well, plants. <laughs> maybe Australia, you have to plant native uh, plants because it's like xeriscaping. It's all exactly, right? Like they were ahead of the curve more than us. But um, yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. it was through ecology. Well, it, that's very interesting because all my life, I, you know, I, I lived in a town, the city of Toronto and Ottawa, and I always drive or whatever out to the bush to see some wild species and they should be growing all over the city. And actually, if you look, they are growing in the city, mm-hmm. but, but everyone thinks they're weeds and does used to do everything <laughs> they possibly could with Roundup to kill them all. But now many parts are partially parks and roadsides are naturalized and this is um, like prairie it's coming back a little bit yeah it's a lot nicer it's amazing how 
quick the uptake of like people being on board with native plant gardening has become in the last five years. Like I've been doing, um, I've been kind of interested in doing it in a sense for, you know, over 15 years. Um, I've had my bit, I haven't had hidden habitat that long. Um, but I've kind of seen the journey of, you know, people's interest in it. And I think now is at a point where we have a lot of really good science to back the benefit of it. Whereas before, um, it was a lot of, you know, it's good for biodiversity and we felt like scientifically it was a good idea, but we didn't have the science. Whereas now there's really concrete science to prove that yes. Well, it's really um, important because insects depend on indigenous species. Here. Exactly. And, and if we plant all horticultural species, they, they won't know what to do with them half the time. Yeah. Now, this program is about uh, carbon drawdown. And tell me a little bit about the benefits of, uh, of native species compared to horticultural species for carbon sequestration. Uh, well, there's, I guess, a few ways you can look at it. A lot of people... Um, compare gardens to lawns and um, there's a little bit of soft kind of bad science out there I, I in my biased opinion about how lawn can sequester carbon um, but what often those articles aren't taking into consideration is the maintenance that goes into maintaining those lawns so you know your gas lawnmower the trimmers the synthetic fertilizers those can all impact your carbon footprint um, and then the, the grass itself, so sod is typically a short-rooted plant, um, so there's not a lot of benefit. It's not being able to bring down the carbon deep, whereas a lot of native plants, specifically, like if you look at like a tall grass prairie, um, which we had a lot of in southern Ontario, um, and now it's becoming a very rare ecosystem, um, but the ability of tall grasses to sequester carbon is quite impactful. Yeah, I've, I've seen those um, displays in museums where they have a glass plate. Yes. The, the tall grass prairie or those prairie plants and the roots go like hugely, like 10 feet into the soil. And yep. that, that's the way they sequester carbon, I suppose. Uh, they just bring it down and then yep, it, it they, goes into the soil. And I think so most sod, the, inch, uh, the root depth is like an inch or two. Whereas you can get some native species like uh, prairie grasses, tall grass prairies, meters long, like, you know, yeah. five and, meters and or so. And then you can avoid all the watering systems that right. we need here because <laughs> as soon as you have a few dry days, everyone starts hosing the lawn and wasting mm -hmm. water. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, I guess that's another benefit of using um, native plants. I mean, the caveat being that they have to be appropriately selected. So you want to, when you're selecting native plants, you want to make sure that they're adapted to the landscape you're putting them in, especially if you want to take uh, advantage of their that low maintenance um, benefit. So putting something that's more suited to a rain or garden or shoreline in a dry, sandy area isn't okay, going to be great. Should we rake our leaves? That's such a good question. So um, the short answer is no, but it does come with a caveat as like everything in life does. Um, and I always say, um, you know, if it's on your lawn, if there's leaves on your lawn, and a lot of people do have lawns, I'm not anti-lawn to 100%. They do serve a purpose, especially if you have kids and they want to play and it's a place for people to gather and that kind of thing. Um, having a thick mat of leaves on your lawn isn't great 
for your lawn. It will kill it, um, especially certain types of leaves, like an oak leaf takes a really long time to decompose. So lightly raking them off your lawn um, is ideal. What I always say is to rake it off. If you have the space to rake it into a garden or into another area, that way the leaves are still kind of um, being able to decompose and produce new soil um, so wildlife is, is, is able to is take advantage carbon, of it. Is that carbon sequestration when leaves decompose into the soil? Um, no, I think it's, oh, that's a really good question. I'm stumped now. Oh, no. Because I, I uh, my understanding. I didn't give you the questions in advance. Yeah, I know. <laughs> my understanding is when it, it's when the plants pull, when the alive plant pulls um, carbon as part of the photosynthesis down into the roots and it stores it into um, like the plant can store it in it's like woody plant material so that's why trees are better carbon sequesters than say um, a petunia yeah. um, and then when we um, so when we decompose something that's a possibility of like releasing carbon um, and that's another reason why you shouldn't till your gardens um, or why agriculture has got that no-till movement is a re part of the reason is for carbon um, don't not to release the carbon it's also really bad for soil health okay. I have another dreaded question what about the dandelion <laughs> um, not native um, France the Don de Lyon see I didn't know that the, name, the, the teeth of a lion Oh really? I always thought it came from from the Asia. I just the dandelion. Oh wow! <laughs> See, <laughs> I used to be a music teacher. We used oh, to okay. Sing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think if they're in your lawn, um, definitely get used to them. Don't spray them. Um, if you want to pull their heads off so you don't get more, go right ahead. So some people say it's okay to use a little bit of Roundup. Do you have any? Do you allow any such a thing or do you accommodate that? Um, I do, absolutely. I think there is a time and a place for what I guess, what we call in the industry is integrated pest management. Um, and that's for when something is going to, it's the essentially the lesser of two evils. You look at an invasive species um, like Japanese knotweed, yeah. something that's gonna really devastate an ecosystem um, or in larger areas like Phragmites in a wetland. They use Roundup in that sense because the alternative is letting this invasive species grow and devastate and kill a whole ecosystem. Yeah. So um, I do understand it. As a homeowner, um, often we're not really at that like level of like, you know, an ecosystem being destroyed. Um, if you feel the need to get rid of um, poison ivy because you have small children, you don't want it around, you know, I, I'm not 100% against it. Um, but to get rid of something like poison ivy, just get some of that black plastic and put it over and it'll yeah, it, right? There are different ways of getting not rid of plastic it. Plastic is such a great thing. No. <laughs> I, I have another sort of question that a lot of um, indigenous native species are biennials, like dandelions and mullins and... And um, um, so at a biannual, it grows, it grows flowers every two years and it has a taproot. Burdock is a biannual. Mm -hmm. And so they have these taproots like a carrot. So they go deeper into the soil. They're very drought resistant and presumably they would sequester some carbon perhaps, I don't know. 
They would a little, yeah. Essentially, any plant is going to. Um, some are just better than others. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, anything green is better than, say, like a slab of concrete. <laughs> Muskoka Drawdown will be back after these short messages. Buy Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay, 88.7. I'm Dr. Shervin from Dairy Lane Dental, and you're listening to Muskoka Magazine. This is Muskoka Drawdown. Do you um, do you talk about biochar? I've always, I always keep hearing about biochar, and it sounds like a great thing, but I never. I honestly, I don't know enough about biochar. It is completely off my radar. Um, so I probably have some homework to do. <laughs> All I know is that people they 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 burn wood, turn it into charcoal, and then they use that on their land as fertilizer. It's supposed to be a wonderful fertilizer, but. I've heard of people using wood ash from their um, wood stoves and stuff like that. Um, my husband I know has done that before. There's a program so, in Muskoka, people collect other yes. people's wood ash and spread it for, is it carbon? It um, neutralizes acidity too. Right? Yeah, it's to recalcify the forests and lakes. It's called Ash Muskoka. So can um, we throw ashes on our garden? Our I don't know enough to give really good advice. I don't think it's bad. I think that um, like most compost, you don't want to put it directly on the plants. Um, I think it has to be well composted. Okay, now take take a, a, your average house that has a, a regular lawn with Kentucky bluegrass in it and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and horticultural flowers and give me a little, go walk around the garden, the, the lot for me and tell me what you would suggest replacing those with. Um, so if you have a lawn, like I said before, and, and you would like to keep it, um, but you don't necessarily want to have a high maintenance lawn, uh, a nice alternative is using white clover. Um, it's also called white Dutch clover. It's not an in, not a native species. It can be invasive. Some people don't like it. If your neighbors have a very well manicured lawn, you might have a sticky neighbor situation where they won't like you. Um, but I love it. I use it in our lawns because it'll grow anywhere. If you have really poor soils, which in Muskoka we typically do, um, nutrient poor that is. Um, if it's really sandy, the, it's a legume, so it's nitrogen fixing. So it grows really easily. It has a little flower, yeah. so it feeds the bees and, and it looks pretty. Six inches tall. I use some. Yeah. I buy Canadian Tire or yeah. whatever for like $8 or something, a nice big huge bag. Yeah, it's fantastic. It doesn't have to be mowed as much. Yeah. Um, I always try to advocate that people should minimize their use of annuals. They're such a fast consumer heavy, like yeah. Yeah. I don't like them. Um, that is a hundred percent my bias. I think they're high maintenance. The so then you're more of a permaculture person. Yes. Um, perennials, trees, if you have room for a tree, plant a tree. Always. Okay, I have another something that comes around my Facebook feed regularly. It's regenerative agriculture. Um, yeah, I've heard of that actually, and I think I watched a documentary with that Woody Harrelson. Oh yes, of course. Soil something. Yeah, I think it just means that it's for farming, not not uh, not your house in the town. Yeah, but, but it, it I is. I guess it means rotating um, ungulates, which means cows, etc., and then keeping the keeping them moving moving around. 
instead of letting them stay in the same pasture and over grazing and then they 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 put waste you know their poo on the soil and their urine and if you keep them moving this is a, a really good way of carbon sequestering carbon yeah and i think those principles can be applied in the garden and essentially you know closing the loop you know making sure that resources that we put into our gardens are kept in the garden so again like you were talking about the leaves earlier the leaves are just soil so you know why we would rake those out put them to the landfill and then go out to the garden center and buy triple mix or mulch um is actually quite silly like you have the soil there and it's going to be a much healthier um, beneficial soil for your plants as well at our house we use a, a composter still but hardly anyone in towns use compost composters because they're afraid they attract vermin and the neighbors complain and such things so everyone uses their green bin but yeah, I I myself use a compost bin as well, and um, my personal experience is that I haven't had any negative experience with bears or raccoons at all, but I also recognize that that's my own personal experience, that others might not have the same. Um, and I always say, like, you can try even, like, depending how big their property is, even if you compost yard waste and not food waste, yeah. that's helpful as well. Where do you get your plants that you grow and sell at your nursery? So some of them we grow ourselves from seed that we collect. Um, and some of them we buy through other like large wholesale native plant nurseries. Okay. Um, so there's essentially two in Ontario. So there's St. Williams and Verbenons. Um, and they do seed source Ontario stock native. Do you sell seeds as well? I do, yes. A very small selection of seeds, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm very glad to meet you and to be able to introduce you to uh, people, more people through this radio program because last spring, my my girlfriend and I, we wanted to put uh, native species on our lawn and replace some of the horticultural ones. We drove around to Beaver Valley. There's a place there that oh, okay. sells them and you would have been a lot closer. <laughs> so next year, you can yeah. expect a visit from us. That's Perfect, sure. yes. Yeah, when you when people travel around Muskoka, especially, we see lots of bogs, mm -hmm. and bogs are they're sort of peat bogs, and they are acid water, so it doesn't decompose, but mm -hmm. it piles up more and more leaves and twigs every year, and this is a great way of sequestering carbon. Yeah, I actually one of my personal goals or business goal is to get my business off of peat moss. Yes. Um, yes that's that's yes. one of the things that I think as the garden industry really has to look hard into and it can make a huge carbon footprint. Um, I actually can't. I looked into it this morning um, and peatlands. So this is like worldwide account for three percent of the land surface, but they can store as much as 30 percent of the carbon um, so they do, they, they are massively important for sequestering carbon. So if we're disrupting that and pulling it all out, it obviously is like a carbon bomb that we're releasing. Um, it's not a sustainable source. So yeah, we need to get off of peat. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. No, there's a lot of interesting things when you, uh, everyone is familiar with uh, or heard of the James Bay lowlands, uh, north of mm -hmm. the Canadian Shields and Hudson Bay lowlands. Those are extensive peat peatlands and they sequester massive amounts of CO2. So, um, you know, the, the idea is to not disturb those lands and not mine them. Everybody's seen movies in from Europe before oil, the oil and coal era. People used to burn peat all the time yeah. in the, in the um, British Isles. 
I always think, oh my God, that's terrible. They <laughs> they released all this uh, carbon that's been laid down over thousands of years. Yeah, they're doing a lot of really great work, I think, in the UK and restoring some of those peatlands. Yeah. So hopefully we'll get also, on board with that. what they're doing that. is re- re- uh, rewilding and forests are coming back because, uh, like George Monbiot says, they sheep killed most of the British islands. Mm-hmm. They close crop, the sheep close crop, and they destroy everything. And so now, and also there's all these heatherlands, which they call them traditional, but they're not. The British Isles used to be covered with wonderful forests. And so now there's some groups bringing back beavers and and, and, um, and even wolves now to try to get them back and get let those forests grow again, because growing trees is probably the best way of sequestering carbon. Yeah, there's that wonderful documentary or story about wolves being introduced into Yosemite, oh, about yes. the health of the forest. Oh, and. Um, I've seen that so many times. Same. I love it. <laughs> if uh, anyone out there, just Google like wolves in Yosemite and it'll probably come up. But yeah. it's such a beautiful story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, um, now tell me about um, where did you get the land? Did you like rob a bank or something? Yes. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. Um, no, we were fortunate to have bought our property before, I guess, the prices went crazy and um, my husband's a contractor and we kind of you know flip some homes and um, we're able to you know be smart and Excellent. yeah buy in before no one else could <laughs> well somebody can because they're buying it but it's usually big money people from Toronto we, we hate them even though I used to be one yeah myself. same <laughs> we hate those Toronto people but we love their tax dollars yeah I know that's the Muskoka um I can't even think of the proper word now but <laughs> complex I guess um yeah, I mean, we're we have a nice piece of land. We have 88 acres. There's only about 5 or so that's um I guess lived on. Um the nursery takes up a really tiny portion of it. Um because we're not going out into the forest and digging plants. That's one question I get a lot is it surprises me how many people assume that native plant nurseries just go out and like wild source dig out their plants and pot them up. Um we don't do that and if people do that you shouldn't be buying plants from them (laughs) well laura i'm afraid we're out of time but this has been most enlightening for me and thank you so much for coming into the studio and um okay listeners um i i I encourage you to support laura's business um hidden (laughs) what is it called hidden habitat hidden habitat yes and uh, as for any other last words of advice from me is uh, live simply so others may simply live (laughs) that's beautiful thank you to the city when all the trees were gone and I laid there on an asphalt lawn and she cried out a thousand days of hurricanes and floods her face ran with tears and the streets ran with blood fur coats and sushi boats and diesel yeah, every little critter Fur